that's Gibeo. October, I w- went to Princeton's She Roars conference. Roars, R O A R S. Um, <clears throat> and it's like the has to do with the mascot because our mascot is a tiger, you know. So she roars, right? Anyway, um, at first I didn't want to go. Because uh, they invite, or at least invited me, well before October. Um, but then, like, a week or so, like, something around there, around that, before the deadline, I felt like, oh, I really have to go. <laughs> because I guess I actually opened the invitation and I read the list of you know, events and people coming. And I was like, oh, this actually is really interesting. And you don't know me maybe, but I actually live uh, like 20 to 30 minutes away from where I went to college. So it's not really like I had some of the same issues as like some other people who wanted to attend the conference because they had to deal with like, you know, airplane travel, booking hotels, different things like that. And for me, it literally, you know, it would have been just a matter of like driving down (laughs) on the highway where I live to Princeton, getting there, parking in the parking lot that I always park in whenever I visit Princeton. And that would have been it. Then I could just go home every night. Like, so it wouldn't have been a big thing. So it's not like I didn't want to go when I said before I didn't want to go. It's not like I didn't want to go because of, like, the headache that that can be sometimes. I didn't want to go just because, like, I don't know. (laughs) Um, My relationship with Princeton. Um, Yeah, I just, I guess I didn't feel a reason, a a strong enough motivation to go, Um, which may sound very, like, vague and mysterious, but, you know, why, oh, like, you may be thinking, oh, it's Princeton, like, why wouldn't you want to go to an all-female conference, you know, the school only just started accepting females in the 1970s, even though they started, you know, when did Princeton start? In the 1700s? So, you know, it's not like it's like an all-everyone conference where it's like all the men back for decades and decades and centuries. And then, (laughs) right, it's literally just going back like we're in 2018, going back like 50 years. So it's not even like it would have been that many people. Anyway, I decided to go. And the thing is, like, I really wanted to bring my mother. Um... But they were predicting, like, record attendance. So they were like, oh, you can only bring yourself. So I was like, oh, great. Still decided to go anyway. And I'm kind of the person that, like, I mean, now anyway, before, like, I wasn't. But now I can show up to a place not knowing anyone there. And, like, that won't bother me. But before my life, if I had something to go to, like, I would at least... Even if I wasn't going with someone, I would at least want to know that there was, like, 
one person minimum there that I knew. <laughs> so that if I ever felt like that attack of like social anxiety or something, I could just go leech onto them. You know what I'm saying? For the duration of the event. So I don't feel like, oh, who do I talk to? What do I do? Where do I put my hands? Like what? Like what? What? Anyway, I went. Um, and it was good. It was good. Um, you know, there were a lot of interesting conversations. I was really interested in like the entrepreneurship conversations education there are different topics but the ones that I would you know that I really wanted to um the the talks that I really wanted to go to because basically the whole conference was talks right and like these talks had like panels of speakers so the talks that I really wanted to go to were the ones like about like entrepreneurship education um you know the job hunt, like different like post-grad, young entrepreneur, young female entrepreneur, young minority entrepreneur problems. Like that's what spoke to me and still speaks to me, you know? So that's pretty much, this is me saying that the coming episodes that will be about or be from the She Wars conference those basically will be the topics. So if you already know, like, oh, I don't care about any of those things, um, and I don't even like Princeton, then you can tune out. Like, that's fair. But if you're interested in any of those things that I just mentioned, I mean, stay tuned, because I plan, hopefully, hopefully, inshallah, to release, you know, these episodes on a weekly basis, because I recorded so much. And literally what I would do it's not advanced. I would pull out my phone. (laughs) I would pull out my phone upon hearing something interesting. Okay. And just record right in the room that I was in. And, you know, looking back, I'm just wondering like why I had no like shyness about this because like some of the rooms I was in really all of them, maybe except one, I'm pretty sure all of them. I'm the only like hijabi. So it's like, kind of people are staring at me already anyway but I you know Princeton is not like um I mean from what I've experienced weird about visibly Muslim people like they're fine I mean there was one woman staring at me a lot (laughs) um in one of the talks and I'm just like yeah I know what's on my head like but she wasn't staring like in a mean way she just was like oh I didn't know like, it's so good, like, that you are here. Like, that's kind of what her face was kind of saying. Like, wow. You know, how unexpected, but, like, kind of refreshing. Kind of. That's, like, the look. That's what I was reading. Um, could have read that completely wrong, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So, basically, this episode, right, that this recording... Um, is on will be will have will be made up of composed of you know excerpts from different talks so yeah basically that's what this is going to be composed of yeah thank you for listening if you really listened 
up until now and then just, you know, forward the podcast player to the actual uh, episode. Which episode is this? This is, um, this would be... Two months faster because we offered maternity leave and we have other problems. But that's all to say that HR is so important, people operations, and no one teaches it in business school. It's crazy. Hi, my name is Jasmine, class of 09, and um, I've been a part of a lot of companies in early stages, and so this is for the founders. How do you um, create confidence and get your team to feel comfortable with the ambiguity and the shifts that happen early on? And if you can't, then that's okay. <laughs> Hopefully you wouldn't be hiring somebody that doesn't understand what they're getting into in terms of the, the ambiguity. But I think as a, as a leader, as a manager, it's your job to communicate what the objectives are and to get everybody rolling in the same direction. And so, and, and the tides are gonna change, the currents are gonna shift, the winds are gonna blow, and you're gonna have to say, hey, okay, everybody, stop, back it up, back it up, okay, go this way, like, and, and it's your job to make sure that everybody's comfortable with that. Um, my personal style is, is more transparency the better, so everybody kind of has the expectation of, of where we're heading and why and where they fit into it. Now, sometimes it, it's the flip side of that is discretion, which is, okay, if I'm gonna tell you everything that's going on, then there needs to be some give and take here and you need to kind of keep things close to the vest and how we work and understand that that's, that's the, you know, that's our contract, that's our culture. Uh, so that's the best thing you can do is just keep communicating and make them feel, uh, make them trust that, and if they don't, um, you know, they don't agree, then let's have that discussion, but make sure then everybody understands that they might not agree with it, but they understand the rationale and a call's being made and everybody's moving. And if it doesn't work, then we'll reset. Okay, we're gonna try this, but if it doesn't work, then all bets are off and we can open it up. At least we've come to that decision quickly so we can reset. Um, Lauren Imperato, class of 02. Hi. <laughs> I'm so excited that everybody's focused on funding female-run businesses, but having worked in finance for seven years and founded and operated my own business for 10 years, I'm actually looking at moving into the seaside, which I think is the next stage, what will happen in a few years, the media focus will be on that. What tips do you guys have from all the different angles for getting into VC, um, aside from asking somebody's husband, which I'll probably end up doing, but <laughs> a smarter way? Well, I mean, I think the, uh, the VC world and the venture world, it's just, it's so relationship driven. Uh, and it's, it's one of the things that I always say is let everybody know that you're looking for it. Because somebody did that to me and I all of a sudden now I keep seeing these things coming, asking for that kind of role and I just hit forward. I was like, does this look interesting? You should apply, does this look interesting? But like you have to make sure you kind of bubble it up so that somebody who might be in that world thinks of you when uh, that email comes into, your, into the other person's inbox and they send it to you. And then say the next step after that is if you want me to write uh, because it's somebody that you know. And then that goes to the other point of non-transactional. Everybody sees that transactional person coming and you, don't, you run the other way. I mean, you see that, hi, how's your day? Um, I'd really like, 
No. Like the person that just really did the short, like in multiple interactions over time, before you're sitting there asking somebody to be their mentor or asking somebody to like hire you or do all these kind of things, just realize that it, all of this is over time. And, and if you're bringing something to the table to the other person, it makes it easier. But don't, um, and go because you're truly interested. Like I know the various aspects of what you've done and you'd be a, an asset to any kind of venture because you've seen both sides of the table and it's a matter of being where they are. And a lot of the, the venture socializing is happening in you know, some of these like beer, wine, whatever kind of things. When I had a, I did a speaker series, I started a, a talk and had like the things that I wanted to do, which was like, I don't wanna have pizza and beer. I wanna have like a great, and the kind of conversations with people that you wanna be. So go try to find those uh, interactions. But in, in the venture world, there's what, 6% of venture partners are women. There's not gonna be a lot of women around, so you do need to be in the spaces where the men are. And if that means like, you know, going through a friend who has a husband or a, a spouse that's in that world, just ask to talk to them about that experience, but you know, if you don't go and go, can you hire me? Because people are like, I get that every other second. Hi, uh, Liz Rockett, also class of O2. Let's see where we're well represented here. Um, I got to end my whole class this year. <laughs> so um, I, uh, so I'm an investor with a group called Kaiser Permanente Ventures, um, and we just in the last two, three years have really transformed um, what our fund looks like in terms of having gender balance within our investment group. But our portfolio is very homogenous. And so we're thinking a lot right now about how we can put ourselves in the places where we can um, be in a more target-rich environment for women entrepreneurs. And I would love just any tactical advice that you all have of um, how you're looking for funding, but then also for those who are on the investment side, how you're finding um, just the best environments to find uh, more diverse set of uh, entrepreneurs and companies. Thanks. Well, one thought, I recently actually had a, a great conversation with a dear friend who's a woman and who um, had held a variety of roles uh, high up, anything from banking through what have you in the finance industry. And she got involved in an interesting organization um, that essentially deploys angel money that's bundled up and is deployed as venture. Um, and and but sort of the, the looking at the deals occurs through, through alumni connections. And so that allowed them to you know, be a rather small participant in rather huge deals where there's absolutely no way they would otherwise been on that table. But it boiled down to those connections, those personal connections that, right, and, and it's, I'm not sure that that's a great answer that you want to hear, but it did for them open some, some incredible doors and they kind of leaned <laughs> on that network that, that helped. Um, you might want to reach out to the Entrepreneurship Council because um, that is one of the things that we do is help connect dots to dots around funding, as well as around mentoring, and as well as around educational programming. Um, so reach out to us. Um, we might know somebody. We might be able to help find somebody. We might know somebody who knows somebody. You never know how it happens. Yeah, I would definitely say that a lot. I, on Friday, I spoke on a panel at like NYU's uh, Women Engineers, like bachelor's and PhD programs, and they had four women come up, and they are, they are technical founders, and it was, and amazing the ideas of what they were doing. So I would say institutions like Princeton, like in you know wherever you are, there's lots of more women are coming out of these programs. 
and some may or may not be thinking about commercializing what they've been doing in the academics, but if there was one where there were such great presenters, because that's some of the things they're like, oh, they're scientists, so they're not going to be able to communicate, that would be the key thing that I would say to any kind of entrepreneur, it's your ability to communicate and deliver that pitch. These two, I was like, you should write a blog. Like, they, it was a technical thing, but the way they delivered it was so impressive that they would stand out in any kind of crowd. But then knowing that they are the masters and PhDs behind it was just like a one-two punch. So I would say the university system, and the, particularly if you're looking for women, getting them early and having them thinking about that. Like, it's you guys are kind of the, the story of what you want to see of like technical founders going out there and commercializing it. Uh, and uh, the investors that go and find them where they are before they get poached or, or don't go in another direction is a great undervalued um, venue. Hi, I'm Joyce Sang, Woody Wu grad, class of 2015. Um, I'm founder of a site that called Verdict, which is a social polling site striving to have more thoughtful debates on the internet. Um, and my question is just, we're a room full of women who are either interested in entrepreneurship or the ecosystem, and how can we help you, and how can we help each other? Uh, so I'll step forward to make a suggestion. Um, uh, we would love to create a map of people that are entrepreneurially minded, that are Princeton alumni, 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 that are connected to Princeton somehow, so that we can connect people to people. So if we don't know about you, we can't put you on our map. So one suggestion is to reach out to us, so that when other people are coming out to reach out, we can help to connect. How do you do that? Uh, you can do that directly through, through me, through my office. Um, uh, through the Entrepreneurship Council. I think there's going to be a list um, that's gonna be uh, distributed from the Alumni Council about different ways you can connect with different groups that have been presenting. But my, uh, my email address is amamon at princeton.edu, so. And as somebody that you know writes checks, uh, let me tell you the types of companies that are that I'm looking for on the stage that I'm looking for because it's always good to you don't want to like shoot your shot at somebody that is not in your the stage. But we're looking for, as I said before, kind of Series A and beyond kind of companies. So think your company has you've got a product service where you're you're looking for that money that's going to take it to the next level. It's usually companies that are raising, I'd say, that five to twenty million. We've actually invested in later stage and one of the things that if we come in depending on when we come in, we're trying to come in for the next round and the round after that. So we are not necessarily the seed player. So we're not looking to be the first money into a company, but we are kind of looking to be the, the check that comes when the institutional money is coming in. But we're coming in in the premise that if things are going well, you'll see our money come in in the round, next round, and the round after that. So um, five million or more, and you've kind of got that established product market fit and you're looking to grow. So we are going to give you that money, but then also, as I said before, we want to understand how we can then open the doors to help you get to that next level. Pretty industry agnostic, so not necessarily the hard part science, although I do still have a, I was pre-med here, I'm a you know, failed pre-med, so I still have, I look at some of the sciences thing because it fascinates me, um, but, uh, but you know, generally agnostic, female founder, everybody in this room qualifies, and if you're a guy, have a female co-founder, otherwise, I don't want to die. <laughs> 
get uh, connected to the ecosystem as Princeton Alumni Angels has recently been founded. Um, it, there is a uh, San Francisco-based West Coast chapter around the San Francisco area. There's a New York City chapter. They are uh, receiving a ton of business plans. I think 86 in their last call uh, that they had to narrow down to six that actually pitched to their uh, bi-coastal pitch. Um, there are, if there's other cities that are interested in starting branches, it takes a ton of time to be the founder locally. If you're interested, certainly reach out to the Princeton Alumni Angels. I can help you get connected to that as well. Catherine Bowser, class of 87. Um, I wanted to add a little bit of perspective to the discussion about, am I Oh, okay. <laughs> Usually I don't hear myself quite this much when I've got a mic. Um, the perspective about where you get your funding impacts your exit. I was CEO of a company a few years ago funded by high net worth individuals on a venture term sheet. And it was fascinating to watch some of my big investors argue with each other based on whether they had been VCs before or whether they had made their wealth building a business. And what we ended up doing, and as someone whose career is in the life sciences, I think is really interesting. We built the company to be sustainable on its own and then we're looking for when the right exit would come along. And in life sciences, I see a ton of companies racing the VC five to 10 year clock and cutting out phase two studies in order to get to that acquisition milestone. And then they get completely devalued by the buyer company because they don't have the science and it's gonna tick off on their um, patent life. So that devalues what someone will pay for them. So I think it's just really important to understand what you're building and how much it's gonna be valued by the acquiring company, as well as whether or not you have to hit a certain timeline and how you align that with your investor base. class of 17. Um, so I'm very interested in entrepreneurship, um, but right now I'm kind of paying my dues at a fintech consulting firm and kind of like making this connection. Um, and I was wondering what you would say is important to focus on or develop earlier, early on now, you know, me knowing that I'm not ready to start a company, what you would recommend I focus on to make myself an attractive um, hire to that second or that third for a company later on, especially at age. So with a fintech consulting company, I would say there are two things. One is any um, opportunity that you have to uh, have some sort of a PL responsibility. So if it's managing a particular account 
and managing the budget of that project and showing that that can be successful, um, that's one. The other is, is there something that you see at, your, at that company that needs fixing? And did you take the initiative, get the buy-in of everybody around you, uh, set it up, have it scale, and be successful? And if any entrepreneurship within a company is usually indicative of, of you know, potential uh, and more likely to succeed externally as well. There's different types of dynamics and politics, certainly, but if you're demonstrating that you've grown something and you were able to get money, and you, you were able to get money in to do it in, in your organization, that's, that's a huge positive. And of course, the finance skill set is just, it's always kind of valuable, especially in a high growth kind of company. But I would also say, given that you're in FinTech Consulting and you're probably your clients, are bringing you in for specific issues that they're wanting help on. Are you seeing something across industries that seems to be the same problem that all you keep getting called in over and over? Maybe this could be the thing that you might spin out and go start. So I would say like, as all the engagements you get on, start seeing is there a thread across these companies that are later stage that are bringing your company in? Mm -hmm. Is there a white space? of something that is just like a sticking problem in the industry? And can you either go, is it something that you could go start alone or bring to an emerging company that might be in that space and say, you know, I think I might be able to help solve it in a different way? Because I've seen that these kind of people that might be your future acquirers would, would need this issue solved for them. So if we can build it out and build the team around it to go solve it, we know, I have a feeling we could get acquired. I was just gonna say it's really different to be the 10th or the 15th person in a company. I think you have to have real skill sets. The second or the third, honestly, you just show up. You just keep showing up and just doing work and just contributing and they will take you and they will pay you whatever you want because you have made yourself invaluable. I, I would advise for everybody who's on the younger side, just invest in networking. Make the time, make the connections, follow up with people. Kind of that thread that's running along, don't just reach out to people when you need them, but build out those relationships and it's gonna be extraordinarily helpful for decades to come. And I'm a big believer in really understanding the customer connection. So whether you do a stint in sales, and maybe that's not appropriate in, in your firm, but being in front of the customer, understanding how they purchase, why they purchase, what the problems are to purchasing, what you need from the company, gives you a view that you will carry with you into other roles. Hi there. Thank you so much. This is incredibly energizing to listen to you guys. Um, and, and why I'm standing up here is because I'm, my name is Lucy McBride. I'm class of 1995. I did pre-med here at Princeton. I'm a medical doctor. I've been in my field for 20 years. I love my job. I love taking care of patients. But I have an entrepreneurial brain. And I'd like to take my knowledge and skill set and, and use it to start a business, not necessarily seeing patients business. And you know, when you're in the shower and you're asleep and these ideas start crystallizing, it's really crystallizing in my brain what I want to do. Now what do I do? Do I talk Intellectual property. <laughs> <laughs> so don't, don't tell anyone. But I mean, in, in, do I, so I've got this idea. I don't have an MBA. I've got an MD. I've got a lot of experience. Is it in the, is it in the medical? It's in, it's in the medical, sort of human condition, yeah. mental health, physical health space, and I don't need to go into detail about it, although I will if you want to talk to me about it. But, but um, I guess my question is, okay, I've got this idea. I've got passion of the yin-yang. What do I, what do I do next? You're absolutely right that the other half 
is the business person, right? One of our portfolio companies and one of my favorite uh, founders is a woman, Dr. Kathy Magliotto, and she was the former head of heart, I do still invest in my sciences, but she's the former head of heart and lung transplant at Cedars-Sinai, and she's one of 3% of cardiothoracic surgeons are women. She's one of those 3%. And in her spare time while being a cardiothoracic surgeon, she went and got her MBA at UCLA and met her co-founder, and she has two kids, and her husband's the head of liver transplants. It's crazy. Like, it's just slightly crazy, but from the perspective, she found somebody on the other side that had the other skill set that she was missing. And she wasn't going in trying to balance anything, but she found the other piece of that puzzle to help her think through the, the skill that she doesn't have. So I would say to you, if you've got the MD side, the, uh, the person that you need is the MBA or the, the business person that's going to be able to think through commercializing it for you. And I would say a thing like She Roars, a thing like, um, you know, we don't have a business school here, but like, depending on where you are, going to uh, the, the venture, there's things happening around MBAs and business schools that invite out to the public. I would go to those, particularly if they're like aligned with a, a med school, you will find somebody that wants to be that co-founder with you. And you, if you get that together, you really can do it. So get out of the shower and go out into <laughs> where, yeah, yeah. Do, do you happen to be in a big academic medical center or are you in private practice somewhere in the small one? Okay, so uh, okay, so so scour the Hopkins website. They do have a variety of entrepreneurial resources. They really do. The tech transfer office is probably the most obvious one, but probably also about the smallest thing that does entrepreneurial things there. But starting with your academic offices that focus on entrepreneurship, on intellectual property protection, on making these connections on somebody there on staff who might help you crystallize some ideas is a great place to go and i can put you in touch with some people at hopkins if, if you like there's a princeton woman maybe in this room like i'm telling you there's a princeton woman that wants to talk to you <laughs> <laughs>